What's up, everybody? It's Bet to Win on a Monday here at Blue Wire Studios at the Win Las Vegas. I am your host, Joe Fan. Appreciate you for joining me, as always. Nick Dayus, I had him on Thursday. Got to bring him back to recap an insane UFC 275 card on Saturday night. I've got a ton of questions for him, including how on earth does Glover Teixeira lose in the final 30 seconds when he's 30 seconds away from retaining his light heavyweight championship belt? Your boy had, I had him at plus 165. That was a tough ticket to rip up, but an incredible fight, an incredible card. Lots to discuss there. Also going to talk um, NBA Finals Game 5 coming up on Monday night. Before we get to Nick, I have got, unfortunately, an L to hold. I took uh, Nick's Rangers. I took the Rangers' money line. Uh, they were uh, underdogs, home dogs in Game 5. I took the plus money. This game was tied with less than five minutes to play. The Rangers couldn't find the winner. Uh, the Lightning score, and then they score an empty netter to win 4-2. Um, it's insane that the Rangers were up 2-0 in the series after winning games one and two, up 2-0 in game three, ultimately lose game three, get swept from there on out. They lose the series 4-2. to two. The Lightning are headed to the third straight Stanley Cup final. They've won 11 straight series. We're not talking enough about that. And I get hockey's a regional sport and it's it's more of a diehard niche, even as, as major as it is compared to the NBA um, or the NFL. But certainly put some respect on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Hockey town, turns out. Um, great sports stretch for the city of Tampa Bay in addition. So that should be a great series. Avs and Lightning. That begins on Wednesday. Game one odds, the Avs are minus 165 against the Lightning at plus 145. A total set at six. And the series price, Avs at minus 190 with the Lightning. The two-time defending champs at plus 155. I'm going to ask Nick about that as well. In the NBA on Friday, we had the best game probably of the playoffs so far, certainly of the finals. Steph Curry, absolutely sensational. He went nuclear, 43 10 and four. He went seven of 14 from three. He's got five plus threes in every game so far in this series. The degree of difficulty for the shots he makes, the moments, the clutch factor. When they needed a bucket, he stepped up time and time again, even though Draymond Green was looking like he had Ben Simmons type yips and Clay Thompson can't re be relied upon to make open threes anymore. Um, he put the team on his back. Also, hat tip to Andrew Wiggins, who was dominant as well. A career high, 16 rebounds in any game, not just the playoffs. Um, huge from him. Jason Tatum, waiting for him to show up. Just 23, 11, and 6. It sounds nice, but only one field goal in the fourth quarter, even, even though he played all 12 minutes. That series tied at two. The Warriors now heavy favorites in that series after being plus 185 underdogs in the series, trailing 2-1. Now it's 2-2. Game four, game five, sorry, uh, at the Chase Center in San Francisco on Monday night. Should be a classic. The Warriors are at minus three and a half against the Celtics. The total has been diving all the way down to 211. Now the final series prices, the Warriors are minus 140 with the Celtics at plus money at plus 115. I think there's some value there. So I think the Celtics are the better team. All right, let's bring in my guy, Nick Dayus. We're going to talk hoops with him, but first... We've got to talk about UFC 275 again. It's Nick Dayus at Nick Dayus 10 on Twitter. Also the host of the Veterans Minimum podcast on the Blue Wire Network. Nick, I got to thank you, man, because I've 
I've sort of enjoyed watching big fights over the years, but I sort of, because of talking to you and and watching all these UFC pay-per-views, I've become really into it. And now I sort of have a history of, okay, I just watched Wei Lee win this fight. She's going to dominate Carla Esparza because I just watched that fight. There's no way that's not the outcome of the the strawweight title fight next time around. We'll get to that one. But but one, thank you. And two, just overall thoughts on UFC 275 and, and what, in my opinion, was an incredible card top to bottom. Oh, dude, thanks for putting me over. Thank you for the tweet Saturday night. You inspired a segment on uh, my show that I'm going to do later, a little cheap plug, uh, if I may, because you just got like into the UFC, like you were saying, right? And I always feel like there's two different camps to people that are super passionate about a uh, specific sport where it's like, oh, I don't want these new fans coming in. They weren't there from day one. Where me, I, I invite people with open arms. I'm like, yo, this this sport, I love this sport. I care about this sport. It's dope as hell. Yes, ask me questions. Uh, let, let, let's watch the fights together. Let's talk about it. That, to me, it excites me because it brings eyes on a product or a sporting event that I really care about. So thank you for being on board with it. I feel like I'm a spokesman now for the UFC, not getting paid for it. Might have to talk to some people about that. But when it comes to the pay-per-view, dude, it was amazing. I feel like... The $75 for the pay-per-view was too cheap. I would have paid more for it knowing what I know now. And hopefully they don't hear that and jack up the prices once again. You know, I, I look at the the ending of the main event as such a great way to cap off an unreal card. I think for mm. me, is you you become to it's easy to learn and quick to learn that UFC is so much bigger than Conor McGregor. And for me, for so many years, it was if Connor's fighting, I'll try to find a way to watch the fight. I'll go to a bar, whatever. But now you see at every different weight class, men and women, there are superstars that are worth watching. These are two names between Yuri Prohaska and Glover Teixeira, who I genuinely hadn't heard of prior to us talking about it a couple months ago and starting to preview this pay-per-view. This fight was unbelievable. Now, as a Glover Teixeira better at plus 165, all he had to do was survive the fifth round because he had dominated to that point. And with less than a minute to go, he gets subbed. And it was a quick sub. If you blinked, you missed it, and the fight was over. How on earth did Yuri pull that off uh, and, and claim his title? Going back to what you just said now about Connor, like there's a, there's a saying that um, my friend Dylan actually put together and uh, I love it. I've stolen it. I've used it on this too, where it's like the juice is temporary, but the sauce lasts forever. You know, like orange juice, it could go, it could go bad in the refrigerator after a couple months, but you can have barbecue sauce in there for a couple of years if you really need to. Right. <laughs> so Connor, everyone's always going to tune into Connor, no matter what, even if he's on a nine fight losing streak, I, I hot take, I think he comes back fights immediately for the title, but We're getting sidetracked here, right? When it comes to Glover and Yuri, I think the coolest thing about this fight, Joe, was that it was a a traditional martial artist approach, right? It's two guys that were very respectful. They weren't talking trash to one another. Uh, Even in the lead up to it, Glover said, you're next. Yuri was very respectful too. And it showed that guys could go out there, girls could go out there, beat the piss out of each other. And you don't need the hostility of, Mazadol and Covington, where now they go to Poppy Steak in Miami and they start brawling amongst civilians. You know what I mean? So it was it was cool to see that. Now, when it comes to fight, I was blown away that Yuri let go of the choke without the 
referee really coming in. If you notice, it was such a quick submission, Joe, that Yuri just let it go. And then the referee came in. And then Glover didn't try to uh, uh, like get at him or say, you know, I didn't tap. It was a very honest martial arts fight, which was really, really cool to see. And something we haven't seen in a long time in the UFC. I'm curious with Glover, why wasn't he able to complete the sub that he had where it looked like he had it? It was dangerous. He realized he didn't have it, went in for a couple more punches. And then he went again where it looked like he had the arm. Again, I am not a technical fight expert. I have no idea. But you could see he really leaned into it and exerted more energy to try to finish the fight. But yeah, you saw Yuri, thumbs up, I'm fine. And sure enough, a second later, he's out of it. That looked more dangerous than the sub that ultimately ended the fight in favor of Yuri. What is sort of the nuance as to why Teixeira wasn't able to finish the fight when he had that chance? Because from an untrained eye, it looked really dangerous while watching the fight. The craziest thing was that I felt like he had him up against the fence and sort of knocked him out. And then, like you said, he pulls to the guillotine. And you know, I, I train jujitsu. And the one thing about the guillotine is it's high risk, high reward. But also, you get put in a bad position because you end up on your back. And it seemed like when Glover had him up against the fence, we were just saying, you know, at that point in the fight, both guys were exhausted. Right to, to tie in the betting, Joe, this fight was minus 800 to not go to distance. So everyone was betting inside the distance, submissions and knockouts in the whole nine. But with that is he has him up against the fence. He's throwing these punches. One or two more strikes, Joe. The referee is he's already closing in on the action to stop it. And then he just pulls into the, uh, the guillotine. And I think one of the reasons why that happens is Live by the sword, die by the sword. That's his bread and butter. He's one of the best submission guys in the UFC. Going up against a guy who the whole breakdown of the fight was grappler and submission artist versus striker. We talked about it on this show too. So it was where he probably felt the most comfort and he felt like he could finish the fight. And then ultimately, it, it, it cost him bringing it down to the ground. Who does Yuri fight next? Yuri, they're already saying that it's going to be Jan Blakowicz. And... To me, that's Jan was the former champion. He lost the title to Glover. Um, there's a number one contender fight, though, coming up, Ankalaev against Anthony Smith, which is interesting because Ankalaev is 17 and one, Joe, and his only loss, two 10 8 rounds, gets subbed with one second left in the third round. Mm. Uh, and he was like a minus 800 favorite. That's his only loss. So, and Anthony Smith has fought for the title, then went on a little bit of a losing streak. Losing to the who's who of the division. Also lost to Glover, too. And uh, they're saying how that might be the number one contender fight. But Yuri and Jan are already tweeting at each other, similar to how Glover and Yuri were doing. Uh, I think ultimately we probably see that because the other guy who would be in the mix is Alexander Rakic. And he just blew out his knee against... Jan Blakovic. So that's probably the next fight that we see coming up this at is, 205. This is diving into the minutia of the fight, and we can move on after this. But I am curious because I've never seen it before, and this might be much ado about nothing, and we can move on quickly. But it looked like there were several times where they're grappling, and clearly it wasn't a tap from Yuri, but there were a couple times where he was like tapping on Glover where you're thinking this is silly because it, it could easily be misconstrued. I guess it maybe not easily misconstrued, but I, me and the guy I was watching with, we were at Red Rock checking it out um, on Saturday night. And what is he doing? I've never seen that before. Did you see that or am I crazy? 
No, no, no. There were a handful of times that he did that. All of those situations, Joe, he wasn't in a submission. So that's why he was able to get away with that. Those seemed like, uh, and it wasn't well, shots. Yeah, what's he like, even doing? It looked he was tapping, but it it seemed more like a uh, you know oh nice nice play or nice uh, nice move there kind of thing. You know, like sometimes a guy will check a kick, and you know Dustin Poirier did that to to Connor. He caught him with a check, and he he pointed at him like oh, I know that one hurt you. So yeah, yeah he tapped a couple times, Joe, but it wasn't he was striking and punching. That's why he was able to get away with it. But you're right, it would have been a little. A bit of a controversy there. The co-main was Valentina uh, Shevchenko at minus 600. A very close decision. Well, I guess it wasn't a close decision based on what the judges' scorecards were. In my opinion, it was. Tyler Santos gave her everything. Uh, My big takeaway is, okay, if you're going to give the fight to Shevchenko, okay. I thought she lost the first three rounds. And then I think you have to take into consideration that... uh, Santos is fighting with a swollen eye that happened from an inverted headbutt that, that you don't give any credit to Shevchenko for. And you're thinking at that point, it's she's not going to be able to survive the fight. And she does so without losing, in my opinion, a single round 10-8. Okay, fine. You, give the, you, you break the tie in favor of the champ, but the judge who said 4-1 needs to be fired. A lot of people feel that way, Joe. I know uh, us two got into Twitter exchange uh, well, we messaged each other on that, and I saw how angry you were too about that. Yeah, it was it was an abysmal decision there to to give. I thought she lost, and I had I talked on the show Valentina by points, so financially I was invested and I was happy. But also bias aside, Valentina is probably my favorite fighter in the UFC across both men and women's division, and I'm a big Valentina fan. And yeah, I was financially strapped to that. I thought I was burning that ticket. I thought Santos. Won that fight. I thought she won the first three rounds. And that's that's why the fight game is so crazy, Joe, because you could do everything right. And then, you know, the guy I mentioned before, Rakish, he takes a step back, blows out his knee. Uh, many years before, Carlos Condon attempts a, a, a spinning back kick, blows out his knee. Tyler Santos, in inverted headbutt, cost her the fight. Um, you know, because then she was really doing what she wanted to Valentino, which was strange to see because... Of all the champions in the UFC, no one's ever a bigger favorite than she is, Valentina Shevchenko. And you saw her corner saying, stop grappling, stop going to the ground, just get in a brawl with her because you're better. And you could feel the urgency from her corner because they thought that she was losing, which was really notable where you compare it to the Rose fight. And obviously, these two put on a show. Rose um, did not. But where the host always calm, cool, and collected, everything's going as planned. That was not the case in Shevchenko's corner. So I guess credit to them for for giving her that urgency of, hey, it's now or never. Your title was very much on the line. And I guess it's not, you think about the fighting community and whether judges are paid off. And that's like an olden days kind of boxing thing. And I don't think there's a conspiracy here in the UFC. And we talk about officials in all sports. Bill Burr just went on what Jimmy Kimmel talking about how he thinks the NBA is rigged in terms of its officiating. And that's a, a sort of a, whether you're halfway serious or even more than that, lots of people like to talk about, well, yeah, Scott Foster, this the extender, right? We know all about this. But I, I don't know how you can watch that fight as a judge and say four to one. It's sort of, I guess, as a new UFC fan, it is a little bit discouraging because I don't know how we could have watched the same thing and you arrived at that result. Yeah, it's it's a big talking point anytime there's a controversial decision like this. Um when when it's when it's that drastic, Joe, 
it, it's wild. Like one had it split. It was a split decision. And then the other one was almost, almost unanimous, right? Four to one to win that was, it's just wild. And as a, as someone that doesn't miss a fight, um, I, I watch all MMA. I even go to regional shows. I feel like it's an insult to my knowledge of the fight game too. When I see scores like yeah, that. Absolutely. And then you're watching it, and you're like, "Come on, man! Like, what's what's going on? There's there's big issues. This this could be like a uh, a podcast series we could turn into, Joe. Uh, it's it's such an open ended conversation when it comes to MMA judging. Wiley Zhang ends uh, the career of the future Hall of Famer Joanna. Uh, uh, she was at minus one seventy five. Another really good fight. This their first matchup was the best women's fight you've ever seen. Uh, she ends this fight with a spinning. Back fist, the first ever finish in that fashion in a women's fight. My immediate thought was she's going to demolish Carla Esparza. Is that um, wrong of me? Because having watched those two fights in the last two pay-per-views, I'm not sure how I could even begin to think that Esparza could hang with Wiley Zhang, who is a dangerous woman. Yeah, I would just be careful with that approach. Only because styles make fights, like people say, right? And... It's uh, Carla's a very difficult person to prepare for and to fight because of her wrestling being so dominant and how she wants to dictate the fight. Uh, Wei Lee is a very complete fighter. I would say she's the most complete fighter at the 115 division. She could take it to the ground. I mean, she was just destroying Joanna in the first round on the ground. I even thought that there could be a stoppage there too. I think she threw like 12 straight strikes, Joe, that were not contested by Joanna. So... That was dominant. I thought Wei Lee was the biggest lock on the card. Um, I don't like when a fighter is half in, half out. I've told you that pretty much any time we've had these conversations about fighters with retirement on the horizon, I kind of stay away from that. And with it being a three-round fight as opposed to a five-round fight, the first go-round and also the long layoff, we, we didn't see Joanna for 27 months. Wei Lee's fought two times in between that. So... To me, it was uh, unfortunate when you see a legend like that, Joe, go out, but also kind of kind of saw it go in that way too. It was just, I didn't like a lot of the buildup to this fight from the Joanna team. What's next? What's on the horizon in the UFC? I mean, dude, I am so upset at my, uh, one of my best friends is getting married in September. His bachelor party, Joe, is in the middle of July. And I was already salivating at the idea of going to Vegas for fight week. International fight week in the UFC, Joe, in July. That's the next pay-per-view, 276. Uh, it's Adesanya and Cannoneer, Volkanovski, Max again. And even like the first fight on the prelims. At three o'clock local time, Vegas is going to be an absolute bar fight too. It might be Joe the best pay per view card that they put on in a very, very, very long time. It's their Super Bowl, International Fight Week for the UFC is the biggest event that they have in the year, and two title fights. O'Malley is on that card. Um, there's this guy uh, Alex Pereira. He's fighting Sean Strickland. Who Sean Strickland on social media is a character. I'll leave it at that. But this guy Pereira, who he's fighting third fight in the UFC, they're trying to send him to the top because he's the last guy to beat Adesanya in kickboxing. Knocked him out cold. So there's a lot of interesting names and fun, fun fights for International Fight Week. I love it. More to come in the UFC with Nick Dayas. Let's talk NBA real quick. Game four, Steph Curry went nuclear 43-10-4 in what was potentially uh, his best performance 
period. He's got a lot of them. Mm. He's obviously a future Hall of Famer. His legacy is something we'll get to in just a moment because I'm curious on it. But what did you make of what, what the chef did in Boston to really save the Warriors series and even this series at two? Man, for as great as Steph Curry was, and I always found the conversation of his legacy uh, hysterical because I think he's one of the four most influential basketball players of all time. Yep. Uh, especially with how the game has changed now. Everyone wants to shoot threes and everyone wants this, you know, fast pace, get 43 point attempts. It's like, yeah, it's easy to do that when you got the best backcourt ever when it comes to shooting and you have the greatest shooter of all time. Uh, but dude, I feel like we got to give the flowers to Andrew Wiggins because you want to talk about a career defining performance, uh, what he's been doing to Tatum in the series and with the rebounding in game four and just how versatile he is. I think Wiggins was just as big a piece of that game four win for the Warriors. And that's crazy to think about with how wild Steph Curry was going. I agree. 17 and 16 for him. The most rebounds he's had in any game ever. So huge for Andrew Wiggins, who has really revitalized his career in Golden State. Now game five, Warriors favored by three and a half. The total set at 212 and a half. I still think I, I favor Boston here and lean them. They've, they're 7-0 straight up and against the spread following a loss so far in these playoffs. And yes, Wiggins was tremendous, but it did take an absolute superhuman effort from Steph and the degree of difficulty in the shots that he's making is so astronomical. And I feel like I've seen enough now from Clay and Draymond and everyone else on the bench that I worry about the role players on Golden State that, to me, have been far less reliable than I expected them to be compared to Marcus Smart, Al Horford, uh, Robert Williams, Grant Williams. Derek White has been one of the best players in this entire series for Boston. Uh, what do you look at as you kind of set your expectations for Monday night in Game 5? I think you you hit the nail on the head there. For me, it was coming into the series, it was more, it was unknown versus the known. You knew what to expect from, you know, top to bottom, the Boston roster. Or basically with Golden State, it was like, all right, Poole goes crazy one game. Uh, Draymond has not been the same player for a long time now. And more and more people are starting to talk about that. It's, it's like more some of like Ben Simmons games, dude. Like, yeah, it's weird. It's wild. And, yeah, and then Clay Thompson outside of like that one game against Memphis and then, you know, the game three that he had in the finals, he hasn't really been that good either. And then you're relying on Wiggins. Congrats. I mean, yeah, he came through in game four and he's been playing better in the finals than we expected coming into it. And you knew what you were going to get with, with Curry, right? But with Boston, you got Brown, you got Tatum, you got Horford, you got Smart, you got these pieces that you just know what you're going to get. They're more consistent. Uh, as far as the trend of, you know, they've won seven straight and they've covered coming off a loss. I hate those kind of trends, Joe, because eventually there's going to be regression to it. Like it's it's not going to always progress. Um, I look to always play the other side of that. I'd probably play Golden State in game five. I feel like as a as a Ranger fan, I feel like the Rangers lost the series to Tampa in six, but they really lost it when they lost game three the way they did. I think Boston losing game four and how they did at home to Curry going bananas is really what cost them the series. It is, you know, it's, 
it's funny how you go from the Warriors are plus 185 in the series. They win game four, and all of a sudden they're heavy favorites again. It makes sense, but that's just the the swings are so egregious either side, depending on the outcome of every single game. I said Warriors in seven before the series started, and I don't think anything would surprise me at this point. I could see any outcome. I do feel in my heart of hearts that Boston is the better team, but Steph Curry is the best player in the series, and um, counting him out ever um, is a dangerous game. Any thoughts on the Stanley Cup Finals? I'm sorry about your Rangers, man. Like you mentioned, it's it's wild to think, and I mentioned this at the top, because I took them in game five when they were at home as a home underdog, but they were up 2-0 in the series and up 2-0 in game three, end up losing game three, which starts a four-game losing streak. The Lightning win in six, uh, and now it's Lightning Avs. Avs at minus 190, heavy favorites. with The Lightning at plus 155. Tons of star power, tons of storylines where you talk about Nav's team that is um, incredibly deep, but also top heavy where you talk about Nate McKinnon. He might not even be the best player on their team with Kale McCarr, uh, who has been tremendous as well, as well as Landis Gog and the list goes on where you have a lightning team that this is a, a, a dynasty that we really haven't been talking enough about 12, 11 straight series wins going for 12 and three straight cups in a series in, in a sport that has so much parody is truly remarkable. Any thoughts going into this series with game one set to begin in Colorado on Wednesday? I think what you said about them being a dynasty and not being talked about a lot is the problem with it being hockey, right? Like hockey doesn't game this, get the same attention that all the other sports get. Again, it's another thing that I've talked about a lot on my show because I bring some of my friends on that are super passionate hockey fans. And I like having those conversations like, yo, why isn't hockey like bigger? I, I love going... Hockey and UFC, Joe, are my favorite sporting events to go to live. It's it's just fast-paced. It's intense. It's it's everything you want. Uh, scoring is difficult, so you get the roar of the crowd whenever a goal does happen. It's, it's really dope in person. So why isn't it bigger? I don't have the answer to that. I don't know. But I think that's one of the reasons why no one's really talking about the fact that they won 11 straight series. They're going for three straight cups. I think winning three straight in any sport is like really ridiculous and hard. And especially in, in, in like hockey. So to me, I think from a betting standpoint, the fact that the Lightning are the underdog in this series, I would probably bet that. Again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, uh, Barry Melrose over here telling you all the X's and O's when it comes to this. But from a betting perspective, like they have that momentum and they're the defending champion to put them away. I think it's going to be difficult. So at plus 155, I think just blindly, I would take. Not knowing who the teams are, if you were telling me one is a two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, the other team is relatively young from what I've gathered and what I've read about this this series because, you know, I'm a degenerate, so I'm going to bet it anyway. I, uh, I I would just lean towards the Lightning right now. Underdog champs. It didn't work for us Underdog with Bover Teixeira, although it should have. It might work with the Lightning. I'm with you. I'll ride with you hey, on man, the Lightning real quick, at this Joe, we were, we, yeah, were on the right side with, we were on the right side we with the dude. It was 4-1, 28 more seconds. We would have been, I would have been 22 and six, the underdog champion. But listen, we can't have, we can't have nice things. 25 to one for Yuri to win by submission. Are you kidding me? If you were to give me money for free, Joe, I wouldn't make that bet on Yuri to win by sub. There was no way that was happening. And it would course, be a wild why... way to cash a ticket that you're watching that fight oh, and all of a my. sudden, because it happened again so fast. There was no, yep. we see so often in fights where it's like, oh, is he going to tap? Is he going to tap? Is he going to tap? It's this buildup where it was like he got in a bad spot and it was over in a second and a half. He didn't have that hold yep. on for very long. 
which is incredible uh, in a title fight. Anyways, Nick, he is my guy. Nick Day is 10 on Twitter. Listen to his Veterans Minimum podcast. I love having him on talking all things UFC, NBA, whatever else we feel like discussing. He is the man. Thank you so much, as always, for the conversation and the insight. Can't wait. Until next time. Joe, you're the man, and we got to catch a card out in Vegas, dude. I already sent you the, the info. We got to do it. Then, yes, then sir. you'll be hooked even more. Later, bro. Oh, I love that idea. It'd be fun to go to a UFC fight in person, period. But going with Nick would be a ton of fun because, A, I know how much he loves it. He wouldn't get sick of me asking stupid questions and it'd be a real good time. So we might have to make that happen. Bet to win two T-Mobile Arena to check out some UFC action. Uh, win bets party with DJ Diesel. Promotion rolls on all win bet users. If you bet $100 on the NBA or in the casino, you can be entered to a prize drawing to attend a DJ Diesel performance. That's Shaquille O'Neal. For those who aren't familiar with Shaq Diesel, DJ Diesel, he is performing all summer long at Encore Beach Club at night right here at the Wynn Resort property in fabulous Las Vegas. You will also win a meet and greet with Shaq himself if you win this drawing. Again, $100 on the NBA or casino to be entered into the prize drawing. Go to winbet.com or download the WinBet app for official rules and details. Winning pick time. I'm 2-1 and one in June, looking to get back in the winning ways. I'm taking the Celtics money line at plus 145, trying to boost those units here this week. The Celtics are 7-0 and straight up and against the spread after a loss in these playoffs. I do think they have edges everywhere as the better team. I think they've got more de- uh, position versatility defensively. I feel better relying on Al Horford, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, Derek White, than Jordan Poole. Uh, B- Bialita's getting minutes now. Gary Payton Jr. had a good game two or game, yeah, game two, but hasn't been seen in games three or four. Draymond is non-existent outside of a couple of clutch plays down the stretch of game five. He wasn't even playing for game four. He wasn't even playing for most of that fourth quarter. Clay Thompson no longer can be relied upon to the degree in which you used to rely on him. Size remains an issue with the Celtics against the Warriors. It feels like the Warriors have to work so hard, not just to get a stop, but then to get the defensive rebound after a missed shot. I do like the Celtics, the better team. I don't want to overreact too much just because the Warriors, once again, have home court advantage. And I do think the Jason Tatum game is coming. Tip your cap to Andrew Wiggins, who has been tremendous defensively. Um, But Jason Tatum is too good to be held down all series. And we've seen it throughout these playoffs where he's had big moments, clutch moments in the fourth quarter. Uh, His field goal percentage has been sub 40% in three of the four games so far this series, sub 45% in all four. So you can use that as a reason to bet the Warriors if you want. I think Jason Tatum is due. I'm fine to bet on him. I'm fine to bet on this Celtics team. I think they win straight up at plus 145. Just got to find a way to survive that third quarter where the Warriors notoriously and continuously are absolutely dominant. That's going to do it here for us on Bet to Win. Nick Dayus, again, big thanks to him. Follow him on Twitter at Nick Dayus 10 We will see you on Thursday right here on Bet to Win. <laughs>